Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Flare Aviation Podcast. Today we have episode number 17. I'm your host, Riley. And uh, before we get going today, I just want to give a quick shout out to Inrad Exam Prep. Uh, most of you know, if you've listened to my recent podcasts, um, they're basically a group of guys who have decided to create a website where if you're working on your Inrad exam, you can go there. Um, they have a bunch of different exams there for you and one-on-one options um, to help you out with any questions. Um, if you use the, clo- the uh, code FLARE10, uh, if you buy their 12-month course, you get 10% off. Um, if you have any more questions, there's a link in my bio on Instagram. And uh, without further ado, we have Jeff joining us today on the show. So welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Riley. How are you? I'm good. How are you, man? Great, thanks. So uh, for everyone who doesn't know you, uh, how'd you get your start in aviation? Where are you from? And where, where did you do all your training and stuff? <laughs> um, well, like a lot of a lot of people, it's a family business. Uh, my yeah. dad was a pilot. And so I spent a lot of time growing up in airports and uh, uh, traveling around with him. And I really liked the lifestyle, so that's how I got into it. Yeah. Um, I'm from uh, Moncton, New Brunswick. And I actually okay. did my training in Moncton, too. Um, I did it through university at Mount Allison. Um, okay. So I was doing my Bachelor of Science with a major in aviation uh, while I was also doing flight training. And, uh, yeah, that was all done in New Brunswick, so... Was how was cool. that like how was the balancing like the schooling and the flying at the same time well you know what it, it, it's a uh, it's quite the balance and I think I did it probably the worst possible way I was working almost full-time at the same time uh for PlayStation and then I was uh, a varsity athlete at the university so I just had no time whatsoever except for flying school working and playing soccer <laughs> yeah I mean I guess the workload must have been like <laughs> crazy for you but I mean yeah, at the nice. same time too I guess like it, it definitely teaches you kind of like that time management which eventually like once you're flying kind of becomes like a strength for you if you have that yeah of course well now now that I'm flying and working it's almost kind of like a break like it's a little more relaxing I guess it's not as go 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 and I'm just able to enjoy the flying which is nice so yeah so how long basically like from the program you were in like how long was it start to finish from going in as like with no hours and kind of finishing as a full uh ready to go pilot uh it's a four-year program um but after high school i went to university for a couple years anyway so i had a lot of my classes already covered uh so it took me three years from start to finish flying okay and um i actually finished a semester early and that's when I started training as uh, an instructor. So I, right before I graduated, I started working as an instructor uh, in Moncton at the Moncton Flight College also. So. Okay. And what do they fly yeah. out there? Uh, they fly Diamonds, uh, DA-20s, Diamond Eclipse, uh, Cessna 172. They have uh, two S models, and I think it's an N model. And then they have uh, Piper Seminoles, and the Fredericton base has a, a King Air C-90, but I didn't fly those, so. Okay, so you got a pretty like wide wide range of like planes yeah. that you're able to teach students on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your first job in then was an instructor out of school. Yeah, it was right away out of school. Was instructing at uh, MFC, and that okay. was uh, that was a lot of fun. I did that for just over a year. Okay, yeah. what would you say like the best thing about being an instructor is? Because I like I feel like personally looking at it, like it would definitely be interesting, but at the same time, like you're getting a a different variety of students all the time. So like there must be kind of like perks of being an instructor and like some 
some parts that you're just like that are weird for you yeah well I think my favorite thing about being an instructor was taking someone flying for the very first time and seeing them like just so excited and I don't know it's like a magical moment for them and being able to share in that with them was always one of my favorite parts okay and did you have like a favorite plane that you you enjoyed instructing on up there um yeah there were um a couple diamonds that were good uh one of them had a garmin 530 uh i think that was i can't remember which plane that was now but uh and i also really liked the uh the cessnas there were two s model cessnas with the uh, fuel injection and they were they were pretty fun to uh to instruct on also yeah i haven't like the other ones were uh carbureted then yeah the other one was carbureted yeah yeah like uh the flight school i'm at here we we mostly just have uh, S models, so I'm oh, nice. used to just flying fuel injection. But like, what's it? What is it like flying like carbureted mostly? Like, what, what would you say having done both that you find like the most different between the two? Uh, well, you just got to remember to cycle your carb heat every now and then, and, and that's pretty much it. There's nothing too too crazy yeah. to it. If you forget, it, I mean, it all depends on the conditions. But if you forget, you know, you can start getting some power loss, and it starts kind of slow, so you don't really don't really see it coming and then uh yeah, yeah. so you just got to remember to use that car i guess yeah a little bit more awareness <laughs> yeah um so from from the instructing then where did you end up going after that like year that you were instructing uh after i finished instructing i ended up uh getting a job with perimeter as a medevac pilot as a first officer flying the metro and that's where i am right now i've been there for just over a year and a half and uh like so, so yeah so you've been like first officer for a year and a half um like what company do you fly for and stuff out there where are you guys like based uh so i fly for perimeter aviation it's a uh small airline in manitoba they do scheduled service throughout manitoba northwestern ontario um okay. i fly in the medevac division and all the medevac pilots are based out of winnipeg uh but we each have our own medevac bases up north um so there's uh how many are there there's oxford house which is my base there are two thompson bases there's a cross lake base and there's uh an island lake base so there's a few different bases where the pilots will go and we we kind of start and end our shifts our week on week off shifts in winnipeg and then they give us an airplane and we do a reposition flight up north to our base and usually on the way to our base we'll get what we call tagged with a trip or we get diverted to go somewhere on a medevac trip but okay yeah so what is it like because for me um i i ended up seeing your stuff on tiktok which you're posting mm. about like all your medevac trips and stuff yeah um, and i was i was really interested in that stuff i saw like kind of the videos you're making from the trips it looks like really interesting and stuff it looks like that's a it's an interesting life and even like northern flying is is always fun like it's 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 totally different from being surrounded by like bigger cities and stuff because there's so much like wildlife and so much stuff to see but uh like for people like me who haven't actually been through that yet what is what is it basically like when you get hired into like a medevac um company or basically any company like that um to kind of getting into the right seat and stuff uh so i got hired in august of uh years at 2019 and uh right away you just get started um in ground school Uh, and ground school was um 
it's usually five days, but when I got hired, they were experimenting with a three-day ground school. And for a new airplane, like going from a single engine piston or whatever as an instructor to this kind of complex twin turboprop, the Metroliner, as I'm sure yeah. you're aware, it's a, it's, it's a lot to cram into three days. Um, yeah. So it was a lot of studying and then a lot of IFR stuff too. And I always thought I was pretty good with IFR because I taught IFR instructing. Um, but there's all kinds of different rules, I guess, for, for different commercial ops. Like we do 703, which is the section of the cars that would fall under for medevac. And there, there are different rules in terms of, uh, an approach ban and landing ban, taking off ban, whether you can taxi or not, all depending on the visibility of the airport. So there was a lot to learn. It was just, yeah, it was, uh, the classic fire hose that, (laughs) that you hear people talk about, but it was fun. And then after you did the ground school and you do all the training flights and you get the type rating, then they go into kind of like the more medevac specific training, which would be like CPR, how to handle, uh, you know, an unruly passenger loading, unloading people that are on a stretcher, bariatric, like all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot yeah. of information, but it's very interesting. So. And then from there, do they put you like, are you on the ramp when you start or do you get to like go onto the Metro right away? Uh, no, there's no ramp for, for medevac. Um, there, there are provincial requirements in order to fly medevac. So you do have to have some time before you can, uh, get started for first officer. It's 500 hours total time, at least. And then captain, you need your ATPLs, which is at least 1500 hours. Um, so I just started right away. I, I got thrown right onto line and dock doing medevac and uh, the rest is history. So, Okay. And what, like, what was the first day like for you? <laughs> the first day was, uh, was interesting. Um, I, cause I commute, I, I'm not from Winnipeg. I don't live there. I'm from the East okay. coast. So I was uh, commuted into work and usually I'll, I'll fly in the day before my rotation starts, uh, depending on the flights. Okay. So I got there that night, the night before I started my first shift and, uh, I was walking through the airport and I'm like, okay, well, I'll go get some groceries and do some meal prep for the week. And then my phone rang. And so I answered and it was dispatched. Like, Hey Jeff, um, can you come in and do overtime? I'm like, uh, sure, I guess so. But you know, I'm doing line and dock, right? (laughs) I've never flown medevac. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. You're, you're good. Come on in. It's like, okay. So I just got a cab right to work. Yeah. Put my uniform on because it was in my suitcase. And then, uh, uh, my line and dock started that night. We did a trip to, uh, to St. Therese, uh, St. Teresa Point, which is in the Island Lake region of uh, Manitoba. And of course, the weather was bad. It was snowing and windy. And, you know, we're, I'm, we're coming in to, uh, to do the approach. And I'm like, all I know to do is call out ref speeds. And, you know, he's dealing with uh, all these crazy crosswinds and stuff. And <laughs> thrown right into it yeah i was just thrown right into it right away and he's like yeah you're good you know you're doing all right I'm like well i mean i guess so <laughs> so when yeah, you're commuting too is it uh like do they have like crew housing and stuff like that is that how it works like when you're when you're in there like working your uh like week shift and whatever uh yeah so at our like at our medevac bases we have accommodations uh and okay. if we ever stay anywhere outside of our base or outside of Winnipeg, we'll get a hotel or, or whatever. Uh, but we are responsible for our accommodations in Winnipeg because we're Winnipeg based pilots. Uh, yeah. so I just, I have a crash pad. I have a room I rent there and, uh, I just go there when I, 
when I land and then the next morning I leave and sometimes I don't go back for the whole week or sometimes I'm there every night. It just depends on, on the yeah, calls we get. You're flying. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so like you're, you're coming from different time zones too and stuff like that. Like how would you, how would you say basically getting into Winnipeg, getting ready for <laughs> your like day of work is as far as like jet lag and stuff goes? Um, well, the jet lag is not too bad, but the time zones, a uh, bit of an issue. It's kind of funny. My, my PlayStation is uh, still in uh, Atlanta, Canada time zone, and of course my <laughs> my phone is uh, uh, Toronto time zone right now, and then my iPad is uh, Manitoba time zone. <laughs> so it's like every everything is all over the place, and I always kind of have to double take to see what time zone I'm in. But yeah, like figure out where you are. Yeah, time. yeah. So jet lag isn't that bad. The one thing I find that gets me on my week off is. Um, uh usually we fly a lot at night it seems okay. to be when we get a lot of calls so uh like just the first couple days that i'm home i like to sleep in just to kind of get back onto normal schedule as best i can yeah that was actually leading into my next question too i was going to ask you like so because you're up there for a week right is it a week yeah or two weeks it's uh it's week on week off for, okay. for my company yeah so you go up there you're on a week right which basically you're on call pretty much like if you, if you have a clone, you're basically on call and then once you fly you have to kind of go off the uh like the eight hour period or whatever that you have uh we we do 15 hours actually so okay. we do yeah hours. so we're on call 24 7 as soon as we get called our duty day starts it's a 15 hour day and then okay. we have nine nine hours rest after the the 15 hour day okay that must be crazy like especially when you don't know like at the very beginning when you're gonna get called in like what it is, is that like? <laughs> Well, I've kind of got in this weird habit where I just kind of sleep, like, whenever yeah. I can, uh, just because you never know, you know, you got to, if you stay up all day and then you get called at night and you could work all night, like, that's not great. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty tiring, obviously, so I'll I'll sleep as much as I can until I get called, and sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't, but. Yeah, and have you ever, so, like, you, you get called in, like, overnight, stuff like that, too, like, basically oh, yeah. at any point? <laughs> yep, absolutely, we'll get called in any time. Sometimes there's a snowstorm, and we're like, well, we got to wait till the runway's plowed, or we got to wait till the snow stops, or, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But, yeah, we get called any time, like any time of day. Yeah. And do you guys do, like, any charter flights as well, or is it just strictly medevac? Um, we do strictly medevac. Um, okay. Sometimes we do RCMP charters, um, but I haven't done any of those. But there are crews that have done RCMP charters, but we just strictly do do medevac. And things changed a little bit too with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. There, there were several communities in Manitoba that had some pretty severe COVID outbreaks. Okay, and not all of them were. Uh, you know, serious cases that need to be medevac, but they do have to go somewhere to isolate. So a lot of these communities were evacuating them down to uh, Winnipeg. Um, and so, yeah, on medevac, we have done some of those kind of COVID charters. Okay, I yeah. see. But aside from that, it's mostly just medevac trips. Yeah. Do you find that with the, like, with just flying medevac, that it can be kind of stressful? Like, as far as, like, you're taking a patient somewhere, you kind of have to you know get them there make sure everything goes well <laughs> well we um yes and no like you want to get the person there and yeah. you know for that reason usually the medics or the nurses won't tell us what the issue is so we're not like 
trying to get in or you know anything yeah. crazy like that um but we do have like the flight nurses and the flight medics or the doctors or whoever we have with us these guys are like very specialized in medicine and they can handle basically anything i mean they yeah. may or may not want to but they can handle anything so yeah. I've, I've never really been worried like when we're taking a patient even if they're super sick like i know that the guys at the back have it and all we're doing is just focusing on the flying and if we have to go missed you know we go missed or whatever so we just yeah. focus on our job they focus on their job and if they need a hand in the back that's they'll kind of come on the rate on the headset and they'll say okay jeff i need you to come back <laughs> yeah and then yeah. and then we'll go back and and help them if we can yeah that's a good way to look at it too because you just you try to do your job as best as you can because you know that's why they're in the back you know they're, exactly they're doing yeah their job as best as they can yeah, yeah especially especially flying an airplane like the metro and like hard ifr like there's no autopilot it's a pretty temperamental airplane so yeah you yeah. really have to focus on on flying for sure yeah Oh, 100%. And how much time, too, would you say, like, you on average would have from, like, being called in to having to be, like, wheels up? Um, well, that actually, we have we have some uh, pretty strict guidelines with that with Manitoba Health. Um, whether we're in Winnipeg or our base or Thompson or wherever, we have between an hour and f some places is half hour, some places 45 minutes, and other places are an hour where we have mm -hmm. to be like wheels up uh, or door yeah. closed sorry um so we yeah we follow we follow kind of that guideline yeah and how would you say to like uh like your eating schedules and stuff like that would just <laughs> off right like you bring stuff on a lot i i do and i've been kind of bad uh like the last month or so maybe since before christmas um with bringing my food uh but usually i bring like a lunchbox with me and i I do meal prep and I've got like two or three days worth of food with me yeah. in this little red lunch box that I drag around. <laughs> and yeah. You just eat whenever you can eat, uh, you know, whether you're just sitting in an airport waiting for a patient somewhere or something like that. But like I said, the last maybe month or so I've been bad and I've just kind of been, you know, grabbing Tim Hortons or whatever. Yeah. Whatever you can get. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That must be, that must be interesting though. I can totally imagine like, when you're on call like that, it's not just like your normal, like, like a normal airline where you're just, you know, you know, you're flying at this day, you know where you're going. It's just yeah. like out of the blue, you're just sent somewhere. Yeah, um, for sure. What would you say, like, probably out of the year and a bit you've been working there, like the craziest airport you've flown into? The craziest airport? Yeah, like just from intensity or even bad weather like if it's a smaller smaller runway you're dealing with bad weather like what's been the most challenging place for you to fly into um there's a few and a lot of the places we fly to like these are all small gravel strips and we're, <laughs> we're flying a metro liner into them which is an airplane designed in texas it's a commuter airplane that's meant to take off and land on ten thousand foot paved runways yeah <laughs> we're flying into that's tiny true. gravel strips but um, I think the one that maybe stands out most to me was uh, going into Arviat, um, which okay. is in Nunavut. Uh, we were going in there one day, and uh, I was flying. I was flying the approach. It was my leg. And we were doing the RNAV going into Arviat. Can't remember which runway, but that's not important. And um, we broke out. And I remember the captain saying that he had the field in sight. And I remember looking up, but all I could see is white. And I remembered, you know, you learn you learn in school when you fly in the Arctic, like 
uh, that it's, you know, snow covered, there's no trees, like there's no kind of yeah. landmark or anything for you to reference to see what the horizon is. Yeah. Um, but we just broke out of the clouds. It was snowing. So like the sky was white in front of us was white because the snow and the ground was white. So I, I remember looking up and being like, where's the runway? And then it took me like a second to adjust and then I could see it. And so I remember thinking, oh man, like, you know, those illusions you hear about in ground school or whatever, like that's actually, that's actually true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You learn all that stuff and like, now you actually get to see it like in front of you. Yeah, of course. Jeez. And so what would you say it's like to just like the relationship between the captain and the first officer when you're like, when you're starting out, because they're basically teaching you as you go, I'm guessing like a lot of the stuff that you're learning is probably from experience that of course. Like, you're bringing from ground school, but you have to almost experience it to actually be able to like properly understand it. Yeah, exactly. And, and these guys that are flying captain medevac, like they're, they're great. Like they're, fantastic pilots and they'll they'll joke all the time you know i'm a bad pilot or whatever you know just kind of keeping it light but these guys are they know what they're doing um and they have a lot of a lot of experience and a lot of tips to pass down so they're they're really good like that for sure yeah what would you say to like the most challenging thing is on a metro because it's such like it's such a huge plane and like you even said earlier like going from a cessna to something like that must be a huge like jump but like what was what was the hardest thing personally for you to actually like get used to and try to learn with the metro uh, that's a good question um i don't know how to answer that um well there's a couple things like there's no autopilot obviously and yeah. i have mentioned that it's a temperamental airplane so it does kind of like to has a bit of a mind of its own i guess yeah if, <laughs> that's sure. the best way to describe it um an example of that like you could be just perfectly trimmed out in cruise and you know when you're flying you let go of the yoke and the airplane doesn't do anything and then you do that it doesn't do anything and you look over at your ipad for a second and you come back and the airplane's kind of starting to bank off like this you know so yeah that's kind of what you're dealing with and you're you know doing uh approaches into you know these little places with low ceilings and stuff like it you know you just have to stay on it um landing on gravel is uh, a tricky one um the metro has what you call like a negative castering um tendency and so if you might not notice this so much on the Cessna or maybe you have but when you land sometimes the nose wheel will shimmy have you ever felt yeah. that yeah I'm yeah so it, yeah, it's kind of just like a shopping cart where you have that castering nose wheel that does its own thing. Yeah. Except in the metro, when it does it, it'll just kind of cock over to one side to its like full travel and like lock there. And so then oh, the plane gosh. will just want to dart off the runway. Yeah. So in, in ground school, when you're learning about the airplane, they always teach you, you know, negative nose wheel castering. It's a bad thing, you know, especially when you're going onto a contaminated runway or a gravel runway. Uh, so you got to always use your soft field landing technique. So, you know, when you're yeah. landing the first time on gravel, you're like, oh no, you know, I got to keep that nose off, make sure I'm not, you know, <laughs> touching the crashing the airplane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you know, after you do that a few hundred times and for many hundreds of hours, you know, it's, uh, that's just really a non, non-issue. You do it every day. So. Yeah. It becomes like nothing. It's just like, it becomes a normal job to you because you're just so used to doing it so much that it, it's just kind of like second nature. Right. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And uh, so like, what would you say then like the best thing about 
not even just flying the metro but like being a medevac pilot is like what do you love the most about doing that um i it's cool i'm i'm really passionate about aviation i just anyone that knows me and anyone that knows me that's listening to this podcast like they just think i'm the biggest aviation nerd as i'm sure is the case with many pilots (laughs) we love what we do but i'm very passionate about aviation and just the fact that i can pair that with helping people like that for me is the biggest thing like we're accomplishing a mission we're helping these people get a surgery done or you know they're giving birth or something and where i'm able to use my skills as a pilot and help these people in a pretty big way like sometimes on the worst day of their life so yeah that is really fulfilling for me i think yeah and like the visual aspect of it too right because even flying like airlines like you're transporting people but you don't really know what like what you're bringing them to and you know if they're you're reconnecting them with family whatever but with medevac you know you're like what you're doing is actually going to help them for sure and like yeah you know that they need to go there for a specific reason yeah exactly for sure and like so looking forward then too what is like what would be your end goal in aviation like as you build your time go through the ranks and whatever what's what's the end goal for you uh well this has kind of changed for me um the industry has really taken a hit within the last 11 10 11 months or so with COVID, as i'm sure you're aware yeah um so i was kind of thinking you know like when I when I first got started, actually, I I was that time I was telling you I was going to do my line and dock. Um, at that same time in the airport, I got an email from WestJet, and they're like, "Yeah," or from Encore, WestJet Encore, and they're like, "Yeah,", yeah. Uh, and I had applied, of course, and they're like, "Here's your interview date." And I'm like, "Oh man, you know, I've got this interview date with with WestJet. <laughs> yeah. What should I do?" And I'm like, "Oh well, you know, I've already got all this stuff done. I'm doing my training with Perimeter." you know, I'll just, I'll just stay here. And it's a good thing I did because I still have a job right now, which I feel very, very lucky that I have a job. Yeah. Um, so if you had have asked me 10 or 11 months ago, my, I guess, end goal would have been, you know, to be at a major like WestJet or Air Canada or something doing long haul. Um, cargo jet has always been a goal of mine. So uh, that's probably looking like a a reasonable option at this point because cargo yeah, is really <laughs> really busy right now yeah um so i think i'm just gonna stay put where i am i've got good seniority for now especially with covid and everything yeah. um i'm hoping to be able to go captain soon and then i guess i'll just reassess yeah uh, that's the one thing too so. i guess with covid is just that like medevac has kept going and like cargo yeah. has kept going and like those kind of those businesses are still running and it's, it's tough with like the, uh, like your Air Canada pilots, your WestJet pilots, like those guys, even, even though they put in a ton of time, a lot of like the younger pilots are still furloughed and stuff like that. And yeah, it's a good time, I guess, to be a medevac pilot or work cargo or anything like that. It is. And I have a lot of friends that I went to school with or instructed with, and you know, a lot of them kind of moved on to jazz or encore or WestJet or whatever, and they're laid off. And, I feel kind of guilty that I still have a job because I didn't really do anything different or, you know, yeah. there's no reason that I should still have a job, but I do. So I do feel kind of guilty about that. And I'm, I'm also still commuting and there's talk about uh, more travel restrictions going into effect, at least with Manitoba. Yeah. And then I'm sure, you know, Ontario has like the stay at home order right now. So yeah, uh, who knows if I'll be able to get, a flight to work in the next few weeks i don't know i kind of i'm kind of taking it week week by week so yeah for sure we'll see for what sure. happens 
No, hundred percent. And uh, even just like a side question for you too, just because sure. I so I ended up like seeing your TikToks, like I said earlier and stuff. What got yeah. you kind of starting that sort of thing? Like you just kind of wanted to share what was going on and just well, <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny because I I started taking like uh, videos and pictures like uh, on Snapchat, sending them to my friends and more importantly to my family just because they're you know I, we come from an aviation family so they're my brothers yeah. and my my dad and my mom they're all just so interested in what i do so i was just taking videos and pictures sending it to them on facebook messenger or whatever i'd be yeah. like this is what i'm doing today you know and um so they my wife had mentioned you know oh, you should give youtube a shot um so that was last year and i made a decision okay i'm going to give youtube a real sh- good shot so i started kind of lugging my cameras around with me and I did that for a little bit and it's just a lot of work when you're commuting and then also doing medevac you never know where you are going to be so I have like chargers and a camera with me and just it's extra crap to lug around every day you know (laughs) yeah like make sure you have everything charged make sure everything's good (laughs) yeah and and so then my wife um she was on tiktok and she kept sending me videos and I'm like oh you know this tiktok I'm I'm never gonna go, you know, never gonna download it because yeah, I thought they were just dancing videos or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then I I did download it and I it kind of catered to my interest very quick, as I'm sure you know the algorithm works pretty well. And yeah. then I just started getting you know flying videos and and this kind of stuff. So uh, my wife suggested, you know, why don't you post on TikTok? You know, you have your phone with you all the time. You don't have to lug your cameras around and yeah, there are only 60 second videos, so uh, it work better with your schedule. So I did. And I think the first video I posted was uh, like a sunset cloud surfing video or, or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like a thousand people saw it. And I'm like, wow, a thousand people. <laughs> like maybe maybe there's something to this TikTok thing, you know. And yeah, so I just kind of kept posting more flying videos. Uh, and then my wife was like, you know, people might like talking in your videos you know just kind of explaining what's happening so that i'm like well, that's kind of when i started the day on life videos and uh yeah. yeah it's kind of taken off from there so i guess i have my wife to thank for <laughs> for setting that for up TikTok. yeah she just kept pushing me the whole way and here i am so well yeah, yeah like I, I found it cool too just like because you were always talking through like if you were going on like for an ILS approach or something like that like you'd be talking through like what you were doing things like that and yeah like it's yeah. it's cool to like see the life of that like of your job basically through your eyes in like the right seat what you're doing all this stuff like i yeah, just thought that was interesting from the start and yeah i think it's i think it's a cool idea and it's it's cool that you like you have your phone with you all the time anyway so it's cool just showing like what you're doing you know and other people kind of get exposed to that industry because i think a lot of people don't realize how like popular medevac is too and stuff like that like even when i was starting my train and stuff um like most of the time when you talk to other pilots that are like in the same stage as you, it's like, Oh, well I'll maybe like instruct or like Bush fly and stuff like that. There's like a lot of people don't talk about going into medevac, but Mm -hmm. it's a great job. Like just to start with too. Like once you have the hours there and whatever, like you're, you're getting a ton of multi time. Like you're, you're building that up really fast too. Cause the thing is too, like, as you were explaining, like you kind of go in any weather, like even if it's, you know, very, uh, like low cloud whatever raining snowing like yep. you guys are pretty much going up in anything and it's like you're you're basically always guaranteed to fly a good amount when you uh like when you're out working 
it's true yeah exactly so just the last question for the uh the podcast today what would you say having gone through everything you've gone through with your career starting from the very beginning all the way to medevac now what would you say for advice for anybody at any point basically below that just starting out halfway through like what would be some advice that you kind of look back on and you you kind of think about and would want to give people um ask questions like if you're not sure on something or something isn't clear just ask someone doesn't matter if it's your you know a fellow student or something maybe you have questions about something for a cross country and they've already done that specific cross country or that lesson ask questions you know how do i deal with this airspace or yeah how do i get an ifr clearance or i don't know something like that always ask questions and um just always study i guess like always um when i was going through it i would just kind of always be looking through the charts and if i see a symbol or something i'm like oh, i don't know what that is you know pull out the cfs or look in the aim or figure out what it is mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that always stuck with me, uh, a lesson from my dad is, um, he'd always say that aviation always finds a way of humbling you, uh, no matter what your experience is, something will happen and it'll just remind you, okay, you know, <laughs> aviation is king here. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just the guy sitting here flying along in the airplane. I've got to, I've got to, uh, remember yeah. where I came from and be humble. And yeah, so that's, that's something that I've always, I've always kind of remembered as well. Yeah, and those are good lessons, honestly. Like the the one thing I even try to take is just like like a pilot's always learning. Stuff yeah, like, that. like you're always 100%. gonna learn stuff every flight. You you always like, and I even find that now, like the training portions of the career when you're still early on, like with my CPL training stuff, I even find that like there's always stuff that like you didn't know or you didn't even realize when you were going over your PPL stuff, and I'm sure it just carries along the whole way that you're always like becoming familiar with different things as you go along and at the end of the day like it's good because it's it doesn't make it boring right it makes it yeah of course that's interesting because you're always learning new things and you're always experiencing new things yeah it maybe one thing i want to add to if you make a mistake don't don't be encouraged because that's just a lesson that you've learned um there's gonna be a ton of lessons even even when you're working I remember yeah. uh, when I was doing my PPL, like very early stages, maybe one of my first solos or second solo or something, um, uh, I was flying and I landed. And usually they'll say, you know, exit onto Delta or whatever. You know, they'll give you taxi instructions, but nothing yeah. happened. So I was on the runway and I'm like, well, do you want me off here? Do you want me on the ne- next taxiway? So I just kind of yeah. stopped for a sec and I was about to key the microphone to be like, okay, where do you want me? And... <laughs> The tower controller came on and he yelled at me. He's like, don't stop on the runway, get off on Delta, you know? And, it, yeah. and so that lesson always stuck for me. Don't stop on the runway, just get off. And then, and then you'll get your instruction to go wherever. So yeah, mistakes happen. It's fine. Yeah. Deal with it. And you'll always learn a lesson. So that's the big thing. Exactly. Everybody makes mistakes no matter what point of your career. And it's all, it's always a good learning curve and helps you become a better pilot. Right. Of course. Absolutely. Exactly. And so, yeah, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, no worries. It. it was, uh, it was amazing to do a podcast with you and honestly, just to see the medevac side of things, I haven't had anybody on yet. Who's, who is a medevac pilot. So I hope that my followers and stuff will uh, enjoy watching this and enjoy kind of like learning about what it's like uh, to be in the day and in, in the life of a medevac pilot. So 
for sure. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Thanks for taking the time out to do this, and I really appreciate that. Um, no problem. Yeah, for everyone still listening to this, thank you guys so much for listening and watching, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Thank you.